All right. Well, good morning again, everybody. Come on, let's celebrate those here for the first time, those online. Hey, I want to wave to those taking in service online. We're so glad that you're joining with us as well. And uh, come on, quick, quick poll. Let me just see a quick show of hands. How many are excited about the Taylor concert, Taylor Swift concert tonight? Come on. Well, that, that killed the mood. Okay. Hey, why don't we do it one more time? Let's celebrate those who were visiting for the first time. That'll get us. Yeah, come on. Woo, woo. That'll get us. Woo. Jeez. The Taylor Swift rage is heavy in the building today. All right. Well, hey, I'm excited today to bring a message. I believe will give uh, you some strength. It'll help you navigate some tricky waters in your life. But before we get there, I've got a good, good, everybody say good, good joke for you. Um, we like to take that ground by faith, somebody, before the pastor shares his joke. So here's the deal. I heard about this old country farmer. He's taking his nephew camping for the first time. His nephew had five different degrees, three bachelor's and two master's degrees. He was one of the smartest men alive. Well, they set up their tent and quickly fell asleep. In the middle of the night, the farmer woke up his nephew. He said, look up. What do you see? The nephew said, I see millions of stars. The farmer said, I know that, but what does that communicate to you? What do all these millions of stars tell you? Well, he said, astronomically, it tells me there are billions of galaxies. Meteorologically, it tells me it's going to be a beautiful day. Theologically, it tells me God is a great creator. What does that tell you? The farmer shook his head and said, it tells me somebody stole our tent. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, it's going to be good. It's going to be good today. I got a quick question for you. You ever wondered what to do with your enemies? You ever um, dreamed up some things about what to take care of your enemies with? You ever, you ever found yourself driving down the road of somebody that is your enemy and you, you know it's not right? You know, you just had a quiet time and we're even listening to worship, but you start grinning at the possibility of, of, of just something happening to your enemies. I'm just trying to get a pulse of who is listening this morning. Come on. Y'all, I know we're holy, but come on. Y'all can be real. It's a question we have to think about. Not every Sunday. It's certainly not a question we need to deal with every every season of life or every day of the week, but I was thinking about and praying about and, and felt to deliver a message today on what to do with your enemies, what to do with your enemies. As I was studying and reflecting, I came across, I came across some interesting historical evidence, um, interesting historical evidence. I heard about, okay, I heard about these curse tablets, okay? These cursed tablets from 2,000 years ago. They're all over the Mediterranean, 
like all over. They, they, are, they are recorded. Of course, they're not writing in notebooks, right? They had to record on tablets. Words of vengeance towards others. These are, these are people like, like you and me living in the Roman Empire, and, and they're worshiping, albeit pagan gods with a little bit of magic thrown in, and they would, they would record these curses. And here's what's crazy. As I was reading about this, I was like, wow, you know, some people had some big things done to them. No, 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 no. The majority of these curse tablets were for petty theft. Somebody who stole just a little something from them. Now, some of them are a little weightier. Some of them are, have a little more gravity. But here's just such a comforting thought. So I was like, man, 2,000 years ago, people were riding in their chariots, contemplating what they could do to their enemies. Like, I'm not alone. I felt so seen in that moment, y'all. And this, this historical context, just so you think I'm not like making this up or trying to make a point, I, I've, I've, I've got a couple of the prayers. You want to hear them? I've got a couple of the prayers. Uh, even if you don't, just say yes. I've got a couple of the prayers uh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna read. So, so the first one's out of Bath, England, okay? Bath, England, which was part of the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago. So forgive some of the names. We'll just call them Doki, okay? Um, not to be confused with other words. Uh, Doki has lost two gloves. He asks that the person who has stolen them should lose his mind. I was like, whew, that ain't a bad prayer. And, and j- just so it's not all internal, go ahead and his eyes as well. I'm thinking, oh my gosh. In the temple at the place where the goddess appoints. That, that, is, that is one of 130 cursed tablets excavated in Bath, England between the years 1978 and 1983. Come on. I'm going to teach you some things today. I'm, my intention is not to give you ammunition, but I'm going to teach you some things. That's in Bath, England. Listen, a little more eloquently, we've got one from Rome. Come on. You knew some things were going down in Rome. We've got one from Rome. Listen to this. This is a little, this is a little prayerful. It almost just doesn't feel right quoting it, but nonetheless. I invoke you, holy angels and holy names, dot, 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 tie up, block, strike, overthrow. It's like, could you get your point across? I will. Harm, destroy, kill, and shatter. (laughs) Sorry. You, You curious, the charioteer and all his horses. When? Tomorrow. Where? In the arena of Rome, let the starting gates not open properly. And like, listen, people really think through the details before writing on a curse tablet, don't they? Let him not compete quickly. Let him not pass. Let him not make the turn properly. Let him not receive the honors. Let him not come from behind and pass, but instead let him collapse. Let him be bound. Let him be broken up and let him drag behind, both in the early races and in the later ones. Well, when would you like that to happen? Now, now, quickly, quickly. Wow. Okay. They're almost laughable. Yet they 
express. We can remove the quote now. Um, yet, <laughs> not for y'all's sake, just so I can move on. Um, they express a side of our human nature that, if left unattended, can really reveal itself in moments of difficulty and hardship. I have fun because I know dealing, navigating the waters of our enemies is not easy territory. We have fun reflecting on 2,000 years ago between petty theft or, in the instance of Rome, maybe a major grievance against someone. These curse tablets, we could call them vengeance diaries, were collecting thoughts and, honestly, prayers granted to a false god, to a false idol, but nonetheless expressing what was happening on the inside. And before we're quick to judge, I'll be the first to say, now, not nearly perhaps in as such detail, but my flesh has wanted to do <laughs> not nearly quite as um, detailed as these things to my enemies. I want to defend myself. I want to explain the situation. I want to post about what a fool they are and how ignorant and uneducated they have cultivated their lives. His enemies have a way of getting under the skin, don't they? Enemies have a way of revealing what's happening on the inside of our lives. And as we approach the scripture, I want to share one more quote with you. A profound quote, a very convicting quote, a challenging quote. It says, the biblical test case for love of God is love of neighbor. So the biblical test case for love of God in a tangible, practical way where it goes beyond good intentions is, is love of neighbor. The biblical test case for love of neighbor is love of enemy. Is love of enemy. How we handle, how we navigate our enemies. Now, I'm not up to speed perhaps on your journey or how you have approached scripture and maybe the extent to which you've read um, the portions of scripture I'm going to share today, but in, in my journey with Christ and, and with God and one of the areas the Holy Spirit leads me most often is um, this portion of scripture I'm going to read from today. It's Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. Don't get nervous. We're not reading. Matthew 5 through 7. But we are going to highlight a part of Jesus' teaching. Jesus' teaching where he was, if, you, if I can say it this way, he was equipping the saints. He was equipping the saints. Well, what was he equipping them to do? To reveal the kingdom of his heavenly father to the world around them. And in some backgrounds, maybe even in your own life, like like. Church world doesn't always get this right. Um, and I would love to just stand up and like point the finger at like church world. But I've got to say I'm, I'm, I'm part of church world. 
And yet, I also know that I'm on a journey to being formed into the likeness of Christ. And I know according to scripture, it doesn't take heavy duty theology to know that in John 1 and in John chapter 6, Jesus plainly says, no one has seen the Father. The first testament led you to a place, but I'm the fulfillment. I'm the only one that's seen Abba Father. So my words are above all the words. And I would say Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are above all the others. Because it's Jesus explaining the way of the kingdom. Now, Jesus did something radical. He was quoted by eyewitnesses to have authority for what was spoken. Meaning, he walked with full integrity with what was spoken. He actually modeled, modeled what he preached. He modeled what he taught. Most rabbis were doing a, doing a fair enough job. But they were kind of, if you will, information only to some degree. Jesus is literally only saying what he sees the Father saying or hears the Father saying, only doing what he sees the Father doing. And so I, I, I preface because um, these are way different than cursed tablets. <laughs> it's the word of God and it's the word of Jesus himself. And I mean, just because it's, Super Bowl Sunday, these are the most Super Bowl important words of Jesus to some degree. Matthew 5, chapter 38 through 48. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, <clears throat> go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, who sin the same way you do, who act appropriately for you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors, the ones you despise, you disagree with, who happen to sin differently than you, aren't they even doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans, a.k.a. the people who write cursed tablets, do that? Be perfect, therefore. Or here it is. Be full of integrity. Be whole. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is a heart after the living God message. So I've appropriately titled it, Two Eyes, Two Cheeks, Two Miles. Jesus, a couple times, I'm sure you caught it in our reading. 
He says this phrase, you have heard that it was said. Do you all pick that up? You've heard that it was said. In your scriptures and even on the Bible app, depending on the translation, there's probably a little uh, reference to maybe a footnote, which is at the bottom, quoting passages out of the First Testament. So Jesus plainly says, you have heard that it was said. Uh, Just a little bit of theology, a little bit of understanding for you. So Jesus is quoting the First Testament. Completely appropriate and completely timing by God himself for the people of Israel. Until, until Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Paul, and I believe it's Galatians, he says the First Testament, the laws are a really good tutor until we got the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit has written God's word alive in our hearts. And so is, is Jesus now erasing the First Testament? No. He's fulfilling it and leading us to a closer proximity of the heart of God. And so Jesus says, listen, you've heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. What is that? It's damaged, incurred, now you've got to make amends. That's the First Testament, the Old Testament. And can I tell you, comparatively speaking, That's pretty amazing. Up until that point in the history of humanity, no other nations were doing eye for eye, tooth for tooth. They were doing visits to the dentist where the tooth was knocked out. They would just call their friends and come kill the dentist that knocked their tooth out. That is Assyria. That is Persia. That is Babylon. It was no eye for eye, tooth for tooth. No. (laughs) That was... (laughs) Do whatever feels right. And whatever you have the ammunition to pull off. There was not equitable justice. It was vengeance upon vengeance upon vengeance. Like, you kill a cow, we're going to kill you kind of thing. Moses comes along after meeting with God and writes the Ten Commandments. And then they extrapolate upon that in the book of Deuteronomy. You'll see in the book of Deuteronomy. And eye for eye, tooth for tooth, Worked quite well. And Jesus is now here bringing heaven and earth together and leading his people to see the heart of a heavenly father that sends his reign on both the unrighteous and the righteous, that provides for those who deserve it, so to speak, and those who don't deserve it. And Jesus would lovingly, willingly, laid down his life at the hands of his enemies. Wrongly accused, wrongly judged. And it's Jesus who for Christians the world over for 2,000 years is their rabbi, their teacher. And all disciples know that the journey with Jesus is a journey of transformation to be like him. Not to know what he says, but to appropriately live out his words and deeds in the world around us. Now feels like a really good time to ask, you ever wondered what to do with your enemies? 
You ever, you ever wondered, like, what's appropriate to do with your enemies? Early in my faith walk with the Lord, I loved Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But I always thought, yeah, that's, that's heaven talk. Like, ain't nobody going to be able to do that. Yeah, like, listen, listen, that's not, that's not like for pastors. That's for, like, bishops, denominational district leaders or something. That's ridiculous. Like, who would step into that kind of lifestyle? That's, again, me <laughs> 30 years ago. Like, wow. Maybe Matthew got it wrong. You know, maybe somewhere in the translation, when you get back to the original, right? Maybe it's got some different... No, it's, it's still the same. <laughs> it's still the same words. And, and Jesus is, is, is inviting... You and I to just wonder. I'm just asking for you to be curious today. I promise the heart is not condemnation. And I'd be the last person, at least after sharing rather transparently, that occasionally I have thoughts about my enemies that Jesus is probably not thrilled about. But nonetheless, God has invited us. And here's what he's invited us to. He's invited us to hold and to carry the heart of the Father to the world around us. He's invited us to take a look inside. In fact, he would go on to say, he's quoted in a couple of the Gospels, of saying this very thing, that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So there's really no idle words, in a sense, coming out of our, our heart. And, and, and Jesus is giving us the invitation. Jesus is inviting us to treat our enemies unlike the world deals with their enemies. Jesus is offering us not to take our understanding from political cues. He's not asking us to take our understanding from certainly not social media or the internet. He's not asking us to take our cues from wise individuals who have studied the heart of humanity for 2,000 plus years. God's asking us to keep it simple. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? I love to think about the transformation that happened in the life of now called the Apostle Paul and how he was with scriptures Here's the deal. He was quoting the First Testament, everybody. He had Bible-backed scriptures, scrolls, papers signed. Here's the deal. By the religious leaders of the day to go ahead and go and kill some people over there in Damascus. But on the way, he encountered the Messiah. On the way, he was arrested, so to speak, and blinded by Jesus of Nazareth, had a vision, changed, revolutionized his life. Somebody that was at the first martyr in the book of Acts, who is it? Stephen, who, little side note, gives the longest sermon outside of Jesus. You're welcome. And at the martyrdom of Stephen, it said they laid his clothes at the apostle Paul's feet. References him as Saul. 
This guy was violent. This guy knew vengeance. He also had done a good job of studying the law. And yet here's what's, here's what's remarkable. He was missing the heart of the Heavenly Father revealed in Jesus Christ. I know. It's intense. And Jesus invites you and me every once in a while. We're not going to do this next week, y'all. We didn't do it last week. Every once in a while, he asks, how are we treating our enemies? How are we treating those? And here's, let me just, let me just, let me just tell you what an enemy is. In my mind, as I was thinking about the sermon, as I was thinking about and, and, and just trying to do some inner work in my own life, I thought about anyone who celebrates your failures. You ever had somebody in your life who celebrates you when you fail? Enemy. And Jesus says, pray for them. He says, love It's as ridiculous, as silent as it is in that moment. Because what you won't find in Bath, England, or in Rome, are Christian curse tablets. No, you'll find collective groups of people who claimed Jesus as king, savior, the true north on the compass of my life. And they would radically obey his teachings. Radically. And I think it's so comforting and yet convicting to know that Jesus meets us in the place of that hurt, of that pain, of honestly accusation, of people's own insecurities and fears and their past trauma and hurt. And come on, let's be honest. Sometimes you're like, why are they taking this all out on me? Like, that makes no sense. And Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble. You will have people operate like that to you. But nonetheless... Jesus in touch, in, in, invites us and leads us to start praying for them. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, I, I, I think I've already shared enough to know that, um, um, or for you to know that I'm not uh, perfect with that. That's why I'm so grateful for uh, my pastor in my life and others in my life, our elders here locally, as well as uh, my wife, <laughs> who sometimes is a, not only a voice of reason, but the voice of Jesus in my life. I'm also grateful for a coach that's in my life. And a couple uh, years ago, just walking through some enemy um, fire, um, some stuff, and um, I remember just needing some help. I called um, my coach, Steve Sizemore. I called him, and, and I said, man, here's this, and here's this, and blah, 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 blah. And... Um, 
hold up, hold up, hold up. I left them downstairs. I got a couple curse tablets. And um, so, I, so I go grab those curse tablets. And, and, and I'm like, yeah, I just, yeah. And, um, <laughs> and God will put some really annoying people in your life. And so Steve's listening. He's like, oh, man. That stinks. Oh, it's first off, it really seems like you, you know, you're you're doing your best, and it seems like you're handling things and na na na, and honoring and responsible. Wow, it's so great. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, you know, I'm pretty good. And and keep it coming, Steve. Keep it coming. He said, you know, um, have you prayed? Have you prayed for them? And uh, I don't know what happened. We lost connection in that moment. Like, it just, it just dropped, call. I haven't spoken to him since. Two years. I still haven't. No. Um, I couldn't hide. I remember I was upstairs in our cafe area just kind of uh, pacing, you know, as I was there. And I said, um, you know, I have not done that. I've not. Um, and, and if I'm honest, I have not even thought about doing that. I have prayed. And I've vented. And I've journaled. I got half my journal full uh, in a matter of a couple days. And, and uh, I've got your compliments. In fact, I recorded the conversation to know how holy I am. And uh, he just said, you know, you know, he says, it's not going to feel natural. It's going to feel real unorthodox. He says, it's going to feel counterintuitive. But Paul, some of the most painful places in my life. I prayed for the people who caused me the most pain. He said, and somehow, he said, I can't explain it. I, I believe Steve was here. He's like, look, you really can't document it. But he said, somehow, supernaturally, the words of Jesus, when practiced, they set me free from chains of bitterness that were binding me. And I was like, Steve, you're not charging double for all this, are you? Because th that's just, that's gold. He didn't even charge me. I was like, man, this is great. It was powerful because it was a reminder I needed. You know, you reach a place, and I don't say this arrogantly or with pride in my heart. You reach a place after following. Listen, I gave my life to Christ at 7. I'm 42. You could do the math. But sometimes in our familiarity... We can lose the simplicity of the gospel. And what's so remarkable is, you want to know who like changed the world? These followers of Jesus, with no Instagram, with no Facebook, with no TikTok, they would preach sermons and they wouldn't even recap them. And they would write letters, some of them we have, where like, 11 out of the 12 chapters, they're just reaming the congregation. You're like, man, dude, how could God use this? But he did. And he would align, align the believer's hearts. That even Rome, not after year one, but after about year 60, had to stand up and take notice. Because these people were loving their enemies. They weren't seeking vengeance they weren't quoting the Apostle Paul as he's on his way to Damascus. Where he's like, well, I got Deuteronomy here, got Deuteronomy here. Hey, let's throw in a little Leviticus and let's go kill some people. All right. 
They were quoting Jesus of Nazareth, who said, hey, when somebody knocks a tooth out, don't forget you got other teeth. When uh, they hit you on the cheek, don't forget, I gave you a second one. And, and when they ask for you to go one mile, get it in your heart to go two miles. And they believed it to such an extent that here we are, New Albany, Indiana, 47150, Hillside Church, 10.30 a.m., celebrating King Jesus. Just 2,000 years ago, they took those words, they ingested them, make no bones about it, by the power of the Holy Spirit and staying in step with that Spirit, they found a way to love their enemies. Every once in a while, the Lord asked me, Paul, how, how are you handling your enemies? Thanks for asking, they're fine. <laughs> All good. Can we move on? <laughs> Let's talk about a miracle in my house. Let's talk about speaking into my future. We'll get, we're all about that. We get into that. But don't forget on this journey of life, who we are becoming is vitally important part to our faith. So that's it. Just, 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 just a little easygoing Super Bowl Sunday casual conversation. How was church? Oh, you know, par for the course. Pastor just asked how I was treating my enemies. What? Well, how did you respond? <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. Because um, <laughs> you already know. You, we're friends on Facebook. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, gosh. Low blow. I get it. I get it. Okay. But I do, I do want to invite you. I do want to invite you. You could do it this week. You could start praying for your enemies. And there are seasons, I'll be honest, there are seasons. Believe it or not, you may be like, tell me of that space. There are seasons where there just really are no enemies. Very limited, very limited. But there are other seasons where for whatever reason, I believe the Lord is strengthening our inner fortitude. He's developing something we fail to talk about often enough, but the character within us, 2 Corinthians 417, this temporary struggle, this temporary difficulty is developing within us an eternal weight of glory. We think, we think about this life sometimes a little too much and forget that God's preparing our hearts for heaven and for that abiding with him. And he's wanting for us to rule and reign, so to speak, in this life. And here's how he's wanting it. He's, he's not looking for us to use curse tablets on our enemies. He's looking for us to, through prayer, through fasting, through capturing our thoughts, he's looking for us to be disciplining ourselves in such a way, so to speak, that we live with love, that we live with love, that we lead with love, not judgment, not writing people off, 
Not living with the lens that all we see is the negative first. Can I tell you? If that's how you live, you have permission to live that way. But I just want to invite you, there's a way better way to live. You can actually live with love going before you. Just think about you. Think about you for a moment. When you first came to Christ, did you have it all figured out? Well, I guess you did. I did not have it all figured out. And I'm so grateful for people who led with love. Yeah, the truth, but yeah, the grace. Amen, somebody? And I think about with our enemies, can we also admit that they're created in the image of God? That we're invited to lead with love, lead through and by the Spirit. And that's the thought. Pray, pray, pray for them. And I believe God will take you from where you are into that season of promise that he's calling you to experience. As John would write in 3 John, I pray that you would prosper and be in good health as your soul prospers. That's what this message is about. Living and leading with love, even on the people who don't quite deserve it, somebody. It's the Jesus way, and he calls us into it. Amen? Lord, help us to be like Jesus. Lord, convict us to be like Jesus. And when we fail, when we fall, may we remember that the grace of God the love of God, it covers a multitude of wrongdoing. Lord, may we not be so seasoned in our faith that we lose sight of the supernatural simplicity that Jesus invited us to live with. And in closing, we pray for those who celebrate our failures. We pray for those who despise us. Lord, we pray for those that are against us. We pray for those who accuse us, who attempt to drag our name through the mud, whether publicly or privately. Lord, we recognize that they're created in your image. And Lord, the same word that applies to us it applies to them. And though we may not feel it all the time, Lord, we pray that your mercy would find them in greater measure, that you would mature their hearts into the heart of the Father to love and to lead with love. In Jesus' name. Hey, just one last prayer. Always mindful. There's a chance you came today to get right with God to step into relationship with him. And if that's you, this is a prayer for you. Say it with me. God, I need you. I welcome your love into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my past. Come inside. Dwell inside. I call you Lord and Savior. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen.
Amen.